Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. How you doing this morning? All right. How you like the new digs? Yeah? Pretty good. Why don't we thank the folks who put this together? Um, I can tell you I didn't do it because um, it would have really been ugly up here. I, I do want to thank Pastor Ken for conceptualizing this and Terry Neal for visualizing it and kind of bringing it all about. Uh, but all this was put together in six days. Almost reminds me of another story I've read about. Uh, it, and it's incredible, believe it or not. Like as, as, as little as 48 hours ago, this whole place was a, a gosh awful mess. And so uh, without the strong elbow grease of a lot of other people, uh, this wouldn't have happened. And so I want to thank Steve Lowry, Dan Hoff, Rick Smith, Troy Stengel, Amy Rainey, Jeff Hendricks, Sean Schroyer, and Carissa Cook. Uh, and just in case I left anybody out, it was a mistake of the head and not the heart. I can promise you, your pastor is profoundly grateful uh, for you not leaving, not allowing this to become a mess, but transforming it uh, into precisely what Ken and Terry have, have conceptualized and visualized for several months now, actually. Several of our leaders here uh, have just told me, I'm not the most visually acute person on the planet. Um, I, I wouldn't even match this morning if I weren't a married man. And so, um, and so it, has, it takes somebody else with a lot of other talent. A number of our leaders have been mentioning to their pastor for several months now how this platform just needed a new look. And so we fi- finally felt like it was time. And so just express your appreciation to those folks uh, as you head out the door today. Uh, there's a pic immediately to my right, that to my left. Uh, Terry's going to be painting for us today while I talk about a very specific subject, the, stu- the subject of art and artists and their rightful place within the church. But over here, some of you may be wondering what this is. Uh, it's actually a silhouette of somebody who, if I called his name, you'd probably know who he was, uh, that, that is used. And we're filling it in with various types of people doing various kinds of things. And visually, it is to communicate how all of us, with our different proclivities, our different talents, our different giftings, are coming together as one body. But that one body doesn't eliminate or obliterate those individual personalities and talents. We need all of those. And so we need all of the body of Christ working together. And the thing that helps us do that best with the least amount of friction is something called self-awareness. And so three weeks ago, we began a series simply entitled, Who? Who do you think you are? It's a series on self-awareness. It's a series that this pick we hope will embody. Uh, and it, it helps us to, to understand ourselves better by looking at the biographies of various biblical characters. Now, I'll admit to you that within the church, uh, especially even within the wider culture, there's a lot of focus on the self these days that's not healthy. And that's not where we're going. Uh, that, that sort of narcissistic, it's all about me, consumeristic, uh, that's not where we want to go. But there's another side to, to truly understanding the self that can be very helpful. One great reformer put it this way, that, that, that true wisdom and knowledge consists of two parts, the knowledge of God on the one hand and the knowledge of self on the other. I need to be self-aware. I need to know how God has created me specifically. I need to know how he has wired me, what he has called me to do. I also need to know that because I'm a sinner, that sin's going to come out in particular ways. 
ways that I need to be aware of because they're probably rather annoying to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're certainly limiting my ability to be everything that God created me to be. And, and so you really can't know God fully unless you know all of those things about yourself. You can't progress into faith in Christ without knowing all of those things about yourself. Uh, and so we've introduced you to a tool that you can use to at least get that process started. The website, again, is on the front page of your program this morning. Uh, and actually, next Sunday, if you just want to mark your calendar, is the first of two identical breakout sessions that you're welcome to come to. They'll happen right after the 11 o'clock service, and I'll go through the instrument itself with you, help you understand it a little bit better. My guess is that most of you will get any unanswered questions answered during that period, but if you want to go a little deeper still, there are four of us on the staff that are certified to be able to carry you one-on-one -on -one through that instrument, and you can make an appointment. Just keep in mind, and we would appreciate your patience, as there are hundreds of you, and there are only four of us. But we want to try to... to um to help you uh, come to grips with who you are, who God has called you to be, and help you most effectively on the basis of that self-awareness, map a, a chart a course from A to B, essentially. Now, we've already in this, in this series introduced you to the helper profile, and some of you have already kind of said, yep, that's who I am. Last week, we talked about the organizer profile, and we looked at the biographies of Nehemiah and Jethro, unfortunately, also Judas Iscariot, uh, and some of you have said, yep, that was me as well. Thanks for the warning, Pastor. Today, we're going to look at something called the artist. How many of you have heard of something called the artist's temperament? Anybody? I mean, have you ever encountered the artist's temperament? There's actually a history, I don't know if you know this or not, behind that phrase, and it originated in history with this man. Some of you will know him, Vincent van Gogh. Uh, and you're going to see Terry actually doing a recreation of one of his most famous paintings today uh, while I am preaching. Now, here's the things that most people don't know about Van Gogh. Van Gogh was a very quiet, very uh, serious-minded child. Uh, he also, so most people don't realize, he didn't actually start painting until around the age of 27. But from 27 to 37, he would spend the next 10 years creating 900 separate works of art. His use of yellow in particular is unmatched to this day. And one Another little unknown tidbit about Vincent van Gogh is he spent a number of years in the 1870s serving as a Protestant missionary to Belgium. Now, you don't know that about van Gogh in all likelihood. In all likelihood, if you even heard of Vincent van Gogh, you know two and only two things about him. You know that he created the classic painting Starry Night, though you may not know he did that from the confines of a mental institution. And you know he cut his ear off. Right? Everybody, yeah, you get that. Van Gogh, oh yeah, that's the guy to cut his own ear off. That was weird. Like, well, that's, that's what we describe usually when we talk about the artist temperament, that highly sort of eccentric personality that's been used to define that. And so most people, when they use that phrase, don't use it as a compliment. If you've ever been described that way, you're probably smart enough to realize the person that used that appellative for you didn't mean it as a compliment. Uh, they weren't trying to tell you that there was something terribly special about you. They were trying to convey to you that there was something about you that annoyed them deeply. Uh, now, let me tell you why that's unfortunate in the body of Christ specifically. Because when you talk about the artistic temperament, you're really talking about a double-edged sword. And most people who are not artistic types only see one side of the sword, the side that annoys them. And that creates all manner of, of problems in relationships and families and in the church. If you're an artist, or some people would call you a romantic, uh, you've probably spent a good deal of your life feeling judged like that. You know, that, that's all people see 
Like they don't see the good stuff. They don't. That's because in the church, and it's unfortunate, but particularly the evangelical Protestant church, we haven't been the most welcoming place to creative types. And let, let me give you a little history, starting with a picture here of a, of a Catholic cathedral that probably goes back more than 500 years. And, and generally up until about the time of the Protestant Reformation, this is the way most places were decked out. I find it so apropos uh, that our creative team completely redesigned our stage just in time for this particular message, because a lot of this goes back to church architecture. And so with the Protestant Reformation, you had a lot of necessary changes, but with those changes, some times came an overreaction. So by the time you get to the second generation of Protestantism, that stream out of which churches like Covenant come, you have this wholesale rejection of anything that's even remotely connected to Roman Catholicism. And that includes not only what we would have considered to be their faulty theology, but also the way that they express themselves in worship, their, their artistic uh, expressions, their engagement of all of the senses in worship. You begin to see all of that uh, in very short order began to be stripped away from the church. Uh, John Calvin, for example, and this is a second generation reformer, he took the Eucharist table, the table where we celebrate communion, which for about a thousand years had been at the center of everything, uh, which was the Catholic way of saying Eucharist is the centerpiece of worship. Well, Calvin removed that from the center and he placed this thing, the pulpit, in its various expressions, at the center. That was his way of visually expressing that it is the preaching and proclamation of the Word of God and not the Eucharist that should be at the center of worship. And by the way, he was right when he did that. Absolutely right. It is the proclamation of God, uh, of God's word that is at the center of all of worship. But here was the, the unfortunate part of that. The unfortunate part is that so many churches kept taking that one step further and one step further and one step further to the point that preaching is no longer just the primary expression or the central expression. It's the exclusive expression so now you go into a lot of uh, Protestant churches, and, and that's all there is. It's the engagement of the ears and the brain and nothing else. And our naked walls and our absence of any kind of artistic expression makes people feel uncomfortable. We have artistic types who are part of our church family, and more than one of them has told me, Pastor, I love you. I love the people here. It's why I keep coming here. But sometimes it's really painful to walk into this building. Because today you don't have the Catholic cathedral, you have something that looks like this. Right? Everything's symmetrical, everything's neat and tidy. There's just nothing though, right? Like most of you look, you go, yeah, that's okay, that's fine. I would look at that because I'm not a visual type. I would go, yeah, that's where I could preach from there. Artistics types look at that and they go, that's a gigantic dentist's office. I don't want to be part of that, right? I don't want, I want to, or at the very least, if I'm going to be a part of that, I want to contribute something to it. And so what they hear with all of their senses, because as we're going to see, artistic types are more sensitive than any other group that's, it's a part of the body of Christ. When they see naked walls, the absence of virtually any engagement of the senses, they hear of themselves, they hear the church saying to them, we don't really want or need what you bring to the table. We don't need that. Let me tell you what's tragic about that. Without creatives, without the artistic type that we're going to describe, the church becomes nothing more than another merchant in the marketplace. That's all we are. All right? And we're supposed to be unique. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Bible, both Testaments, pregnant with verses telling us how we should stand out. 
And how often has every church in America just become another part of the consumer culture? And a large part of why that is, is because of the way we have marginalized the creatives among us. We don't like original works. We like Walmart. We like Target. Let's just go get it in bulk. And we look at so many creatives the way the 19th century Dutch looked at Vincent van Gogh. We don't see indescribable color and texture and beauty. We see somebody that we're going to keep our distance from just in case they cut their ear off. And that's tragic. It's incredibly tragic. So here are the questions we have to ask this morning. In the church, how do we avoid that kind of posture toward our creative brothers and sisters? And if you're a creative, here's the question you need to ask yourself. How can you take your rightful place in the body of Christ and honor him in the way you live? Not just in the way you create, but in the way you live. And I would submit to you that the best, most effective way to do that is to put down the biographies of people like Van Gogh and Edgar Allan Poe and pick up the scriptural biography of one of the most creative minds in all of scripture. And we're going to talk today about a man named David. That biography uh, we're, we're going to start actually not at the beginning of his life, but in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we read the following. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. There is so much in this text of Scripture that describes not only the capacity, but, but the efficiency of artistic types. Earlier in this chapter, God had already told Samuel the prophet to anoint David as the successor to King Saul. But David's first introduction to Saul's court is as a musician, a powerful musician who can use his art to soothe a tormented soul. And there are a lot of creatives that are like David in this way. Nobody knew how to soothe the king. Nobody knew how to help the king. And so there was an artist who came in who was naturally by their God-given design attuned to the deeper emotional dynamics in Saul's soul. And David used his art to match this very deep hard to define moment in the king's life because the king when we talk about Saul we're talking about a guy that truthfully is a lot more like me not a creative type get trapped sometimes be a curmudgeon and not know why and you need somebody to reach down into your soul and pull it out of you like some of you there's a song isn't there there's a song you're thinking of right now and in your lowest moment or perhaps at your most fulfilled moment, there was a song. It might have been sung by a Christian artist or an artist who is not a Christian, but somehow that creative was able to dig deep with words you couldn't find because you're not like them and they expressed it in such a way that every time it comes on the radio now, you crank that sucker up because you can identify with it. That's exactly how I feel. Nobody can do that like a creative. These are creatives at their best, sensitive, original, creative, refined, intuitive, expressive. And here's the thing about David. Those qualities were not just limited to musical instruments. They flow naturally out of him in the Psalms. Let's look at the passage that Pastor Bob read a few moments ago in Psalm 8. Let's couple it with the 101st Psalm and look at what David says here. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. I'm amazed at the things you have given me when I consider who I am in comparison to who you are. No one expresses that like a creative. Then we see in the 101st Psalm, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? When will you come to me? Deep emotion and expressive nature coming out in a creative, expressing what many of us would never be able to express without these divinely inspired words. Now, here's the thing. David's deep emotions aren't just limited to those moments of contentment. They're also aimed at other emotions. How many of you have smaller children like me and you've seen that Disney movie, Inside Out? Yeah, you remember the point of that one, right? Joy, the character, she's always running around. She's trying to keep people from putting their balls in the little chute because the teenage girl that they're supposedly, they're controlling her mother, she's going, no, 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 never, never sadness, never sadness, all right? And Anger, who's my favorite character, by the way, The point of the whole movie is God created that range of emotions. Yes, anger can be sinful, but it doesn't have to be. There is a righteous anger. Yes, sadness can take you to a place that God never intended you to go, but sadness is natural part of living in a fallen world. You're not created in the image of God if you don't experience sadness because that's that's the emotion that connects you best with the nature of the fallen world. And we see this in David. It comes out in the 58th Psalm. I read this one, by the way, occasionally when I'm doing a wedding rehearsal. And I look at the couple and I say, this is the passage that I have chosen to read just before I pronounce you husband and wife. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. I've never actually done that in a wedding, but it's, it's awesome to have fun with the young couple. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Don't let him hit any of my men. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yeah. 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 You think David's in touch with his emotions? You think he knows how to express what he feels? If you're a creative, you just, you're just like, okay, I'm... You have my attention now because nobody can feel like you. It's why sometimes people think you're weird and you think you're weird. Trust me, you're not. God designed you to be an emotional barometer within the larger body of Christ. And artists create from feeling. This is why some of our strongest emotions come when we read poetry or we look at a phenomenal painting or we, or we, you know, or we look at something like Starry Night. We take a moment in our sacred spaces as we did for so many years in a church before we got so commercialized to consider the unspeakable wonder of our God as opposed to just settling for a velvet Elvis painting. This is what creatives can do for us. And David, 
He doesn't just create art. you got to remember, this is the man who will become king. He will relocate Israel's capital city from Hebron to Jerusalem. He will raise up armies that rival anything ever before seen in history at that time. He will grow a national economy to the point of Israel's first golden age. David doesn't just create art. He creates cities, national capitals, armies, a strong economy, an entire middle class. This is the creative at his best, and it's the ultimate potential power of an artist. The first words of Genesis tell us this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a word there, the word bara. It's used only and always of God. Never is that verb attributed to a human being. And the reason is because bara literally means to create out of nothing. All right? Terry's doing some fine work over here. But she had to start with some raw materials. She couldn't just speak and the paint appear. Somebody had to go to the art store or wherever. I guess there's an art store. And, and pick up some things, right? And bring them. Put them in. Yeah, I, this is not me. Mine comes later. Somebody had, to, somebody had to bring the raw materials. God needs nothing. God needs no raw materials. God speaks into nothing and his words create everything. Now, now here's the thing. When you're watching a creative at their best, you're watching somebody who's not God. They're merely created in God's image, and therefore, they cannot barah. They cannot just speak nothing into, into something and then use that something. They've got to have, all of us, if we're going to create, we've got to have some raw materials, don't we? Here's the thing about creatives. They need far less raw material than anybody else. Because when you're watching these people at their best, you are watching a human being come as close as any human being ever will to doing what God did during those six days. This is the gift that he has given us when he gives us creatives. And so when you look at the early biography of David, you look at the late biography of David, you see what a healthy creative soul looks like. You see what it's capable of, and it's powerful, so incredibly powerful. Now, here's, here's the thing. That same power, if you're a creative, and this is something you need to be aware of, can also wreak absolute havoc in your soul, among those closest to you, and even in your church if it remains unredeemed. And so David carried that double-edged sword throughout his entire life. We see that artist's temperament, and we see a, a, the, probably the greatest example of this in Psalm 139. Take a look at these passages. He starts with this beautiful, uplifting prayer of praise to his God. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Later on, you see, he just gets deeper. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Now, something happened in this man's brain between verse 18 and verse 19. There was a sudden kind of redirection, and all of a sudden, you see this guy go ballistic in the same poem. 
Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies, they take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you? Oh, Lord, do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And then, and then he goes, oh, search me, oh, God, know my heart. Like, try me and know my thoughts. If there's any grievous way in me, lead me to the way everlasting. Like, I... Something's not right. Inside, nobody can feel the way you feel. Here's the key. You cannot allow those emotions to take you to a sinful place. It's easy for any of us to allow our emotions to get us to a dark place, isn't it? It just is. That's true for all of us. For an artist, it is a particular weakness. You know, there's always going to be a besetting sin. No matter who you are, you are a sinner, and you're going to have a particular besetting sin. For the helper, two weeks ago, we saw that it was the need to be needed. It was pride. So when I run out of resources, I start blaming everybody else for not doing it exactly the way I do it. For the organizer, it's the need to look good. You're image conscious, all right? If I look like a failure, that's not good. For the artist... There is a longing and desire to be unique and special. And the 139th Psalm is actually a great picture. It starts with this humble meditation and focus on God, but then very quickly, as I said, there's that redirection. And for a lot of artistic types, the most difficult position for you to strike is one of contentment, satisfaction. It is hard for you to be at peace. You're always, even when you're, even when you're asleep, you're in turmoil. Your insides are churning because everything is not right with the world. And, and here's, here's why that typically is. It is because you, more than anybody else, are finely attuned to how beautiful things can be and should be if you are the kind of person who comes closer than any other human being to creating in exactly the way that God himself created, then you would also by default be the person most sensitive to the fact that things are not as God created them. They are fallen, and they are broken, and here you are, and you can't redeem it, and it, it, just, it just eats you up inside. You, you are eaten up. The greatest temptation is when you can't redeem it, and so you just immediately begin pointing out imperfections. You can't, you get where David was in verse 15 of Psalm 139, and you stay there. And you go to a place that makes your soul very dark and, and just darkness just follows you everywhere. In fact, if you are one of those kind of people that struggles like constantly with this, let me tell you what your greatest temptation is right now. It's to critique this sermon. Yeah, find something wrong with it. It's not artistic enough. Sorry, I'm not you. I, I, I can't do that. But you, listen, here's the thing. Whatever critiques you have about what I say, you're probably right. That's the thing. But if you're always focused on that and other people and other programs and the rest of your brothers and sisters in a way that causes you to constantly harp on this and harp on that, it's going to take you to a very, very dark place. This is why many artists appear on the outside to be overly dramatic and exaggerating, possessive, high-strung, snobbish, melancholic. That's a fun word to say, isn't it? Melancholy. What does it mean to be melancholy? Melancholic is the happiness of being sad. 
right? If you give in to the darker side of yourself, other people will look at you and they will not see beauty that they should see because that's how God created you. They will not see uniqueness, even though they should, because that's how God created you. Your sinful disposition won't even allow them to look at you and see somebody like Van Gogh. What they're going to see is this guy. Sorry, I am a child of the late 70s and early 80s. So you remember Oscar the Grouch? This is the king of melancholy. What did he used to say? I don't like being happy. That makes me miserable. But I love being miserable. That makes me so happy. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to give in to that. God doesn't want you to go there. And this is a danger, because if you give in to this, people look at you and they, ju they just conclude, well, nothing we ever do is going to make them happy. Nothing. Get into that vicious kind of cycle at your workplace or among your family or even in your church. I've done this as a pastor. I had to become aware of the artistic temperament because I'm, I'm not an artistic creative. I'm just not. And, and so, but, but I have to pastor those people, so I have to understand them. Because otherwise, I'll come to that same conclusion. They just kind of keep coming back. You go, what do you, and I'm the kind of guy, I'm like, okay, what do you need? Well, I need A, B, C, D, and then I provide A, B, C, D, and then I get a four-paragraph email telling me how everything's awful. And I go, I can't, what do I conclude? I can't make them happy, right? Until I understood this particular temperament. I, it still doesn't mean I put up with that, by the way. But I do understand you better. Through God's word, he has taught me, and you, those of you who are creatives, have taught me much about you. Let me tell you what lies underneath all of that, that turmoil in your soul. It's a, it's a fear on the part of the creative that I'm just ordinary. There's nothing special about me. See, creative minds want to be viewed, right? The, the, the organizer wants to be viewed as efficient, successful. The helper wants to be viewed as needed, the artist wants to be viewed as extraordinary. But if that need to feel special always leads you to a place where you're pouting or sulking or nursing old wounds or holding grudges, you have given in to the deadly sin that besets so many people just like you. With the helper, it was pride. With the, with the organizer, it was, I mean, everybody's got a besetting sin. Here's your besetting sin for the creative. It is envy. And look at what Solomon tells us in Proverbs about envy. A tranquil heart, a heart that's peaceful, that heart that you really would like to have, but somehow through, you, through the self-torture of your own soul, you, even when you're sleeping at night, you're eating up inside. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy will destroy you because your emotional energy that you should be spending doing something like this gets aimed and focused almost entirely on somebody else or on something else that you can't fix and the more energy you spend there, the less you spend being who God created you to be. And many times that can lead to destructive behavior. In David's life, it led to an entitlement mentality that led to adultery and eventually murder. Because he felt like, I'm above the rules. I, I, don't, I don't have to submit to this. I'm, I'm special. Well, that can take you, your family, those you love to a very, very dark place. So, so here's what you need. Same thing everybody else needs, the gospel. 
And this is how the gospel of Jesus Christ provides for you specifically. In Jesus, his, his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, his authority at the right hand of the Father, his promise to come and get you and take you to a world that is fully redeemed. No matter how much you critique, you'll never find anything wrong with it. Let me tell you what that brings to the artist. It brings balance. It brings equanimity. You get what Paul described in Philippians as peace. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a command, by the way. It's not a suggestion. Don't be anxious. Or, another word for anxiety is distraction. And nobody just walks around in a, dis- in a state of distraction or in a state of anxiety. There's a point of reference always for that. It's a person. It's an imperfection. It's something that you've tried to redeem, but you can't. Give that up, Paul says. And then he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Because you can't barah. You can't create the way he creates, and you can't redeem the way he redeems. I know you want to. You can't do it. You've got to turn that over to him. And then once you do, look what happens. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, that should feel like balm to you if you're an artistic type that that struggles with these issues. And, And if you can get there, let me tell you, nobody in the church can bring peace, beauty, and balance to a situation like an artist who is walking with the Spirit of God. Conversely, nobody in the body of Christ can drive up the drama, the exaggeration, and the accompanying anxiety level of everybody around them like an artist who walks in the flesh. And so you got to figure out what you're going to do. Because underneath all that is this subconscious anxiety that people look at you and all they see is somebody that might cut their ear off. Well, let me tell you a couple of things. It is highly unlikely that people actually look at you in that way. Most people don't. It's not as bad as you think in all likelihood. But even if it is, that is not how God sees you, and therefore that is not how you should see yourself. You don't need to feel compelled to create an original you. God already did that. And you cannot improve upon that. You don't need to try to create the way God does. He's already done that. You don't need to try to bring redemption and meaning to the world in the way that he does. He has already done that. You don't need to try to restore the whole world. As an old Baptist preacher used to say, if you think your job is to straighten everybody out, go work for the funeral home. Because that's the only way you're actually going to be successful in straightening out every crooked thing. All right? And you've got to stop doing that. Number one, God is not going to give you the glory that he desires for the restoration that he will bring. So he's, you're never going to be endowed with the capacity to redeem all things. That's God's, but that's way above your pay grade. Stop trying to do things that only God can do so that as a creative, you can do the things that God created you to do. 
And the way to do that is to learn to retain the capacity to feel. You've heard me say that from this stage before. Emotions are a necessary, essential part of your spiritual growth. Emotionalism is a damnable substitute for spiritual growth. Okay? Don't give in to emotionalism, but be the emotional barometer that God has called you to be in this body if you are a creative. Help the rest of the body to be in tune with, to express in a godly way what they're feeling and retain in your own soul the capacity to feel without being overwhelmed by your feelings. Learn to be emotionally proactive rather than reactive. Learn to watch your emotions and not ride them. Now, let me give you just some real practical ways to do that before we close out. Steps to take. Number one, be in relationship, if you're a creative, with some solid, grounded people that you trust who will tell you the truth about yourself. Because you need that. Everybody needed that. David needed that good, solid, grounded guy named Nathan who just didn't care what the king thought about him and would tell the king. And you, it's going to have to be somebody you trust and it's probably, I mean, I would be honored to fill that role, but it, it probably won't be me because I'm not an artistic type. I, I don't tend to, I, my type is the commander type. I'll just go ahead and but reveal that to you today. We'll get to that in several weeks from now. But if there are two people uh, who, who fit these dominant styles all over this, this kind of nine style uh, paradigm, if there are two people who, who don't understand each other at all, it tends to be the, the commander type and the creative type. There just tends to be a clash there. Uh, I'm not, I have some ideas to why that is. I'll express that when, we, when I get up here in a few weeks and talk about myself, but, um, but, it, but it's there, right? So it probably won't be me. It doesn't have to be me. It needs to be somebody you trust who can step up and go, you know, I love you, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that was unnecessary. Right? Anybody, for that matter, forget being a creative. If your emotions tend to get out of control, you need somebody that, that has permission to be your editor. To just go, you know I love you, right? That was unnecessary. You, you, you really ought to go back and apologize. You really need to go make that right. You, no, you don't need to express it like that. People have said of me before, I can't believe some of the things you say from the stage. And I'm like, I am a married man. You should see what my wife edits. We all got somebody, right? Surround yourself with those kind of people. Number two, practice the spiritual disciplines regularly. Okay? Spiritual disciplines. Okay? Oh, let me go ahead and say this. This is not even in the notes, but I just feel like I got to say this. That's not listening to a podcast. That's not watching a YouTube video. It is opening your Bible and letting God speak directly to you without some preacher filtering it for you. All right? When we say a covenant, we believe in the priesthood of believers, we really mean that. You don't need somebody always filtering. The purpose of me even being here is to help you handle that sword that's in your lap with more effectiveness. And some of you never even wield it. Some of you aren't even, you didn't even bring it to church. And you wonder why life just seems to be coming apart. Because you don't get spiritual discipline from a YouTube video or a podcast. You get it from the Bible. You get it from God's word. Open it up. You never open it with your kids, and then you wonder. 
Now, now my 19-year-old can't find their pants, and I don't know why. They never want to come to church. Well, you taught them every other blessed thing was more important than church. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Stay in your Bible. Be active in the gathering of God's people. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That was not a suggestion. It's a command from the author of Hebrews. Journal, worship, meditate, pray, fast. Yeah, that too. And do these things on a regular basis. Because you know what happens in that moment? Particularly if you're a creative. You... You are laying down the brush, you are laying down the pen, you are putting down the musical instrument, and you are becoming God's canvas in that moment. Because his desire is to reform you and to create a new in you, the image of Christ. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Number three, ask yourself honest questions. Like for the artist, it's going to be something like this. How much time do I, tru do I truly dedicate to longing? Longing for something I don't yet have. Longing for something to be perfect that's never going to be perfect. I mean, how much time am I really wasting by, by not allowing my emotions to be properly channeled in the right direction? What really disappoints me when I'm tempted to act like Oscar the Grouch? Am I really as misunderstood by others as I feel? The answer is probably no. But ask yourself those honest questions. And then and the number four, and this is maybe the most important one. Remember that your worth is not tied to your uniqueness. You don't have to be more special than you already are. You need to be who God created you to be. And you need to rest in that. Because if God has wired you as an artist, you have off-the-charts visionary ability. I, I, there's no way I could have envisioned what's behind me right here. I don't, I, I mean, it's, it's black paint and some chicken wire. I don't know how to take something that mundane and turn it into this. I have no idea. It would look like a chicken house if I did it. You have, if you're a creative, visionary ability that is absolutely off the charts. You better than others in the body of Christ, have the capacity to see the potential beauty and the meaning in all things, but you also see more clearly and feel more clearly how dark things can be. And that's the temptation point for you because your spidey sense goes out about the imperfections in the world, the depravity that caused them, and this thing that disturbs you is that even with all your vision and skill, you cannot make the whole world beautiful. As that comedian Stephen Wright said, it is a small world, but I wouldn't want to paint it. It is a small world, but you cannot redeem all of it. You cannot, when you're watching the news and you see genocide here and injustice there and, and abortion here and murder there, and I mean, you can't fix it all. And you've got you've to harness by the power of the Spirit. Actually, you can't do it. You've got to let the Holy Spirit sovereignly harness your emotions in that moment and channel them because your biggest fear is that you will not be significant because you are unable to bring beauty to everything you encounter. The opioid initiative that we're doing right now is more, could be potentially more emotionally damaging to the artist 
than to anybody else. Because here's the hard, naked truth. We will not save everybody. We won't. And if you can't get off of that, you will never be able to contribute as only you can to that larger issue. Here's your hope. It's David's hope. It's David's only hope. See, after his sin, God forgives, and then God strikes a covenant with David. And included in that covenant is your line will produce the Messiah, Jesus, the truly unique. We said two weeks ago, nobody ever served like Jesus. Nobody could take up a towel and a basin like Jesus. Last week, I didn't say this necessarily, but nobody knows how the world should fit and how it will best fit and how it will work most efficiently than Jesus. Nobody gets the job done like Jesus. Here's what you need to hear today and just be reminded. Very simple, Theology 101. What Paul said in in, in Colossians chapter 1. By him. All things were created in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus is creative because Jesus is creator. That was David's identity at the end of his life. And if you're a creative, it needs to be yours as well so that the powerful, creative energy of God himself can flow through you the way that God intended from the very beginning. Let's pray together. Father, you spoke, and nothing became everything that we see. Before that, the thing that blows our minds the most is that you were nowhere, and yet you still were, because unlike us, you don't even need space in which to exist. Everything we see, everything we don't see comes from your creative hand, your creative mouth. So Lord, for those who, who are most attuned to that creative part of you, I pray that today that you would redeem them. I pray that you would help them see that they too are part of a fallen world, that they can't fix all of the things that are ugly and make them beautiful because they can't fix all of the ugly things on them in themselves bring them to a place of repentance and faith finding their identity in you and father may may the church and i don't i don't know about other ones but this is the one that you have blessed me with and given me the privilege of pastoring for this moment in history Um, and lord there are just to be honest there's some places around this facility that do kind of still look like a gigantic dentist office and we have people who can change that, not just to make it pretty, but to reflect the very creative energy of our God. God, give us a vision as one body that includes that energy, that includes that emotion, that we might truly worship you, not just with our mind, but also with our heart. And may the creatives among us today help lead the way. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, 
I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.